0: So we are in a uh, conversation about how to have a better life, and um, uh, we 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 believe that Christianity teaches that that we will have a better life as we as we uh, follow Jesus and put into practice the things that He's taught us. Um, not necessarily a <clears throat> a uh, easier life, but a better life. And I think part of what a better life entails is to have a happier life. And um, so I want to talk today about God's plan for how we can have a happier and healthier life. So I want to talk a little bit about happiness. Um, I think most of us want to be happy. I don't know anybody who is saying, oh, gee, I'm too happy. I wish I could be a little bit less happy. Um, uh, so so how, how do we be happy? Um, I read this book a couple of years ago. It's by Jonathan Haidt. Um, he's a social psychologist, and it's called The Happiness Hypothesis. And it is um, uh, finding modern truth in ancient wisdom. So what he's done is he's looked at different uh, cultures around the world and the way that they have they have approached the topic of how to have a happy and fulfilling life um, and then he's compared that with what uh, social science te- tells us. And so he's saying that, that there's, there's um, basically just putting these two things in dialogue, how to have um, happiness as seen by the ancients and by uh, modern scientists. And so um, one of the things that, that struck me as I was reading this is um, uh, he talks about these two people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, uh, but... Uh, but um, I'll put it up on the screen in a moment. So, so he's saying, who who do you think would be more happy? If you had to change positions with somebody, you wanted to be happy, and you got to pick one of two people to be, which would you pick? So um, he says the 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 greatest factor in in having happiness is um, uh, is to have good genes. You need to have picked the right grandparents, and if you did that, then then you'll be happier. But but aside from that, if you don't get to pick that. Right. And we don't. So. So then what what, what can you do? He says, he says, um, uh, try to imagine yourself changing places with either Bob or Mary. Bob is thirty five years old, single, white, attractive and athletic. He earns one hundred thousand dollars a year and lives in sunny Southern California. He's highly intellectual and he spends his time, his free time reading and going to museums. So that's Bob. Now, compare him with Mary. Mary and her husband live in snowy Buffalo, New York, where they earn a combined income of $40,000. Mary is 65 years old, black, overweight, and plain in appearance. She's highly sociable and spends her free time mostly in activities related to her church. She's on dialysis for kidney problems. Bob seems to have it all, and few readers of this book would prefer Mary's life to his. Yet, if you had to bet on it, you should bet that Mary is happier than Bob. So think about it. Bob, 35, single, white, attractive, athletic, $100,000 a year. Sunny, sunny Southern California. Intellectual, reading, museums, he's healthy. But compare him with Mary, who is 65 years old. Our culture values youth, but Mary is 65. She's, She's married, she's black, she's plain, she's overweight, She and her husband together make $40,000 a year. They live in snowy Buffalo. She's highly sociable, and most of her free time is spent in church activities. And she has a kidney problem and spends time in dialysis every week. So who's happier? Well, if you were to talk to a social scientist, they would have said... There we go. So the answer is Mary, and the reason is because she has social connections. So um, she's married instead of single, and that is a consistent... uh, You may know people who don't have a happy marriage, but they would probably be even unhappier if they were single. So... um, Okay. Um, So she's also... um, All right. Anita, you're going to earn your pay. (laughs) Whatever we're paying you... (laughs) you're going to earn it today. All right. So um, so uh we'll just uh turn this thing off. So um, I think the wood is absorbing the radio. I don't know. Um, so uh where are we? So Mary is a happier person. She's happier because she's she's got all these social relationships. She's connected. Um she she has, spends a lot of her time in church as opposed to going to museums and reading. She's a happier person. Not only is she happier, but she's probably healthier as well, are, are not Mary, we, we know she's not healthy, but we know in general, people who have social connections are healthier. Can we see the next slide? All right, so Harvard did a study a couple of years ago. Um, they, they studied 7,000 people over a course of nine years, and one of the many findings of that was that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong social connections. So John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, you're better off eating Twinkies with friends than, than, um, going to the gym alone. So. Um, <laughs> so, um, you're a healthier person if you, if you have, um, uh, social connections. And so, um, we, we need to be in community with other people. Um, and, uh, in, in our, uh, Mother Teresa said, said about, um, about our, our situation in the West. She said that, uh, what we have in the West is, uh, a, a kind of uh, social leprosy. Can I see the next slide? So, okay, wait. Uh, keep going. That's more evidence about loneliness. Um, um, Mother Teresa said that in the West there's loneliness, which I call the leprosy of the West. In many ways, it's worse than our poor in Calcutta, and it is it is a disease. the, the back back up one slide. So I can't tell what order they're in anymore. So. Um, so, uh, so this slide is a bunch of data, uh, uh, different, different, uh, treatments about the question of loneliness. There's a loneliness ap- epidemic. It's been implicated in the op- op- opioid crisis. And so there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways that, that loneliness and lack of social connections are implicated in, uh, health problems as well. So Mother Teresa's right. Um, and, and, uh, in our lesson, Jesus has Uh, Jesus has this opportunity to see these four people who bring their friend to Jesus. They, they do this desperate act of cutting a hole in the roof in order to get him to Jesus. And then Jesus uh, remarks not on the friend's injury, but on their faith. That they would, they would go to the effort, uh, that they, they trusted Jesus so much that they would go to that effort to bring their friend to him. And the question for us is, who are our four? Do we have four friends? Do we have four friends, you know, putting aside your immediate family, do you have four people who would help you in a situation like that? Do you have four people who you can even talk to? Do you have four people that you can listen to? Are there four people who will listen to you? Are there four people that you can bear your soul to? Is there one person that you can bear your soul to? Because we're made for community, and when we lack community, our health suffers. And our happiness suffers. So who do you who do you have who is a friend? Who has permission to talk to you when when things aren't going right? When when you had said you were going to do one thing and then you decided to do something else, who has permission to say, Hey, how's that thing you were trying to do coming? Do you have friends like that? Do you have four? Because we are made for community. Now I know when I when I ask a number four, some some people immediately said, "I'm on social media. I've got hundreds of friends." <laughs> so, social media, and then and then the next one. So um, so social media. Go ahead, there. Okay. So um, social media. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not like backing her up. So, so social media, uh, social media doesn't work. We all know this. Um, you know the people who say things on social media that you wish they wouldn't because it just makes it awkward. Um, and very few people do. Uh, in fact, increasingly people self-censor. Um, uh, social media is implicated in um, a rise in depression among teens because it so so uh, so accurately correlates with the. Um, with the rise of uh, mobile devices and social media platforms uh, the 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 trends in in uh depression among teens is so closely correlated with that so so uh, social media is not helping and not only that uh, technology in general is probably not the solution we've all seen people you go to the airport and you see the guy with the headphones maybe you are the guy with the headphones right because you want to shut everything out you don't want to have connections with people you don't want to have anything to do with people you just want to take your plane ride and get there and listen to whatever it is and mainly not listen to other people we all know that that technology is not helping us connect to people in a deep and meaningful way. So so how can we connect to people? Well, the short answer is because this is a church, um, I will tell you the answer is Jesus shows us the way. Jesus tells us that we should have spiritual friendships. We need community because God made us to want community, and Jesus tells us we should have um, uh, social friendships. Spiritual friendship. So our first point, there we go. I'm on the right page. So, so uh, God made us to be in community with each other. This is the first point, God made us to be in community with each other. Um, Jesus told his disciples uh, before his arrest. He said, "So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I am replacing the 613 commandments, the uh, whatever it is, 365 uh, yeses and the 238 no's whatever it was. Um, I'm replacing all 613 commandments." With one new commandment, which is to love one another, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That is the commandment that Jesus gives His church. And I, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that within a couple of decades, people were saying, "Yeah, but what did he really mean by that?" And so uh, John wrote in one of his letters, "He meant what he said." Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other; let us show the truth by our actions. He said. He said he meant to actually love one another not just simply to say we love each other. And the good news is when we do that, when we do that Jesus joins us in in that uh in that way that we engage with one another. Uh there's a story from the day of the resurrection when Jesus um, appears to two of his disciples. They're having a conversation. They're talking about their life. They're talking about their hopes, they're talking about their disappointments and they're walking along the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them. There And as they walked along, they were, they were talking about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things. Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. And I think most of us, many of us at least, have had a, have had that kind of a conversation. We've been in a Bible study of some kind, we've been with other people, and... The other person said something, and we realized that wasn't just them talking. That was actually Jesus speaking into our midst because of the depth of our conversation. Jesus actually was a part of the conversation. That is the, that is the experience of Christians down through the years, is that when we have spiritual friendships, Jesus joins them in them. And Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, he says, Together, together, not apart, but together, we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple, that, that God joins himself to us. He, he enters into our midst as we're joined together into a temple for him. So because of this mutuality, because of this insistence in the New Testament that we, uh, that we be in community with one another, um, there are 59 different times in the New Testament where Christians are told to do something with one another. So we're told to bear one another's burdens and so forth. We'll look at some of those tonight, but uh, today. But Jesus says that this is important, that your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, that your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not what kind of church you go to, not whether it's a Bible-believing church, not whether the pastor is a good preacher, not whether you tithe, not whether you pray seven times a day, but whether you love one another. Jesus says that is the criterion, that is the hallmark of who is his church. In the 3rd century, um, an African bishop and later a martyr named Cyprian said that this relationship of believers to one another, the, the connections that we form uh, in and through the church, are so important, he said, that you cannot have God as your father unless the church is your mother. That so We have to have these kinds of relationships. In Romans, Paul says the same thing. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. People should be able to look at you and say, I don't believe that Jesus stuff, but I wish that I had a friend like him. I wish that people would come to my hospital the way that they came to his hospital. That that's what, that's what, that's how God is glorified. So that's the idea. Is that God made us to be in community with each other, and Jesus instructs us to love one another as a way of building that community. And when we do, some things happen. So I want to talk now about what, what results because we have authentic Christian community. So our second point, when we have authentic Christian community, um, we have co-workers who help one another. I was struggling with the word co-workers. I was trying to think of a word that says people who help you. And and I was looking you know, in a dictionary, and I found accomplice, and I thought, that's probably not the right word. Um, and I found collaborator, and I thought, well, that's not a good word. So I ended up settling on coworker. But, uh, coworkers who help one another. Um, because sometimes we just need help. Sometimes, you know, we're moving apartments, and we need a friend who's got, who's got a, who's got a pickup truck. Somebody who can actually help us move our stuff. We've all been in a situation, life is hard all by yourself. And we just need friends. So, uh, so the first thing about spiritual friendships is they are, they are friends. They're coworkers who help one another. Uh, the, the writer of Proverbs said, uh, or the accumulator, the editor of Proverbs, uh, put together, uh, this, the, included this proverb. He said, it's better to go to a neighbor than a brother who lives far away. That, that when, when you need that help, when, you know, it's great that you have a family that gets along. It, it is. It's a good thing when your family gets along. But if your family is in Seattle, that's not much help. You need people who are nearby. You need people who can actually help you when you need help. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher there says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other, uh, succeed. And three are even better. That that you shouldn't just say, okay, well, I've got a friend that like these, like this guy who wound up in front of Jesus. It's great to have four friends, or or at least three. So so the more the merrier. Um, and uh, Paul says in Galatians, share each other's burdens. That if you think you can be a Christian and never help anybody, then you've missed the point because it's all through the New Testament. There's 59 times people say things like this: share each other's burdens, uh, exert yourself on behalf of the people around you. Um, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. That's how you love them. Um, uh, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too, Paul says in Philippians. And uh, when we put these together, we see the sort of picture that that uh, Luke paints in the book of Acts in Pentecost, where he ta- talks about um, how the, the early church, when they first uh, began to, to live in the, the light of the resurrection, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. So we see that 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 is that is the model for the church today. Um, uh, and and it may seem like, well, you know, what about what about me? You know, you know, what about what about Luke? Because after all, I'm number one. Um, Paul, uh, uh, John says this. Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That if you're feeling put upon, you're feeling like, you know, that's the third time this week this person's asked for help. You know, maybe that is your calling. Maybe maybe that is the kind of friend you need to be today because uh, because two are better than one and three are even better. When God's people are in need, Paul says in Romans, be ready to help them. And First uh, Peter, he writes, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them. Don't bury your treasure in a field. Instead, use your gifts for the help of God's people. So, we need friends, we need co-workers who, who will help each other, but we also need friends who like each other. Um, we don't want to be that the guy who's only liked because he makes Kool-Aid. Some of you remember the old ad, right? You know, make friends with Kool-Aid. You don't want to be the friend who's only a friend because he's got the pickup truck when moving day comes. We want to have actual friends, so we want friends who like each other uh in the in the psalms it reads this um, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony we know we just want to have relationships that are that are more pleasant than not we don't want to have relationships that are always a struggle where we're walking on eggshells and we're saying well don't don't say that thing around that guy you know we want to have we want to have friendly relationships so it's wonderful and pleasant uh um, uh, Paul says, as he concludes the letter to the Romans, he says, greet each other with a, with a sacred kiss. And in, in Paul's era, that was culturally appropriate. I don't think it's culturally appropriate today, and I'm not sure exactly what is uh, uh, the, the modern-day equivalent of that. Um, but um, uh, if your pastor starts kissing people, you may have a problem with the pastor. So I'm just going <laughs> to leave it at that. Um, so, um, and, you know, unfortunately, there's been churches where that's the case. So um, I'm not going to be that pastor. Um, I'll take my cue from John Acuff. This is a book. It's a very funny book. It's All the Ways Christians Are Kind of Weird. Um, and it's called uh, Stuff Christians Like. And he recommends the side hug. So um, so uh, uh, he's saying, you know, watch where you put the hand, and then you can give um, three or four blessing pats. So... <laughs> So, um, but whatever it looks like, you want to have you want to have people that you actually that you actually like. You want to have people that you can you can um, uh, do whatever the twenty first century American version is of Paul's sacred kiss. In Romans, earlier in Romans, he said, "Love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other." In Ephesians, he wrote, "Let everything you say be good and helpful." So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And, and Paul says that he can benefit from that too. You know, this is not just something that, that uh, flows from the most spiritual person to the less spiritual person. He says, he says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So this is something that that there's a mutuality to it, that, that we can like people even if they're not as spiritual as us, and we can like people who are far more spiritual. Than us. So we want to have spiritual friendships, but we want to like each other. But we can't leave it at that. We want to have classmates who learn and grow together. Classmates. I was trying to think of another word, and again, I, I struggled with these things, but classmates, disciples, fellow students in the school of Jesus. We all want to grow to become like Jesus, or at least Jesus wants us to grow and become like him. So in Proverbs read, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That we need people who will sharpen us. In Hebrews, we read, "Let us let us um, uh, meet together and think of ways to motivate one another to acts of good, uh, of love, and good works." We need people to help us. We need people to say, "Hey, um, you know, why don't you do this thing?" And we say, oh, "I was afraid somebody was going to suggest that." We we need people who will actually motivate us to do the love and the good works. Um, uh, in the First Thessalonians, Paul says. Uh, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of all who are weak, and be patient with everyone. That's a pretty good list. That's, that's the kind of support we need to be good students to get to get uh, 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 progress in the school of Jesus. Uh, James says, "Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed." You know, we're talking about having four friends. How many friends do you confess your sins to? How many friends would it just be so awkward? You know, I, I'm, I'm in the, the team, you know, we, we play every Thursday night. But no, there's no confessing of sins because it would just be too awkward. There's, you know, the, 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 the depth of a lot of our relationships today is so shallow. You've been in situations, you know, you're feeling sad because your dog died and there's nobody you can talk to because it would just bring the whole group down. Because our relationships are so sad, so, so so shallow. James is saying, you should have the kind of relationships where you can not only talk about your dog dying, you can actually confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In Ephesians, Paul says, "Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you." That yes, when when they confess their sins, be forgiving. You know how how you know how many have been to the other kind of church. Paul says this is the kind of church we should be. When people confess their sins, we forgive. In the letter to the Corinthians, he says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. That part of being a good friend is to say, okay, this is going to be a very painful conversation, but I need to have it. I need to tell you what you did was wrong. We need people in our lives. We need to give people permission to come to us and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. We need those kinds of relationships and we're probably not going to find them on the team or in the political party. We can belong to a tribe, but it doesn't mean we've got a friend. So Paul says, don't judge outsiders. And again, this is another place where the church has historically gotten it so wrong that we judge the people out there, but we give everybody in here a free pass. Paul says you should have a friend who can actually speak truth in your life, who can hold you accountable. But he also says this, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Gently and humbly. Gently and humbly. Gently and humbly, because they're your friend, right? They are your friend. He doesn't say ignore it, but he says gently and humbly help them back onto the right path. What is gently? We know what gently is, but what is humbly? I think I think the best way to be humble. What? Okay. I thought we were going to have an interactive sermon. That would be so cool. Right. I, I read these things that say that that's what that's where the church is headed. So. You know, it's about to happen. So, um, so, um, so, uh, what is humbly um, the best? The best example of humility that I know of um, is is from a church in Colorado. They, they've got a they've got a motto. Uh, it predates the Me Too uh, movement. It's Me Too, and they, you can go there and you find T-shirts on people that say Me Too. And w- the way that they implement humility is they say this: is that, you know, it's a it's a big church, right? Um, if 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 Luke is doing something wrong. There's a lot of people who know that Luke's doing something wrong, but one of them can say, "I do it too." One of one, or maybe two, or but but let somebody in the church who can say, "Me too." Go to that person and say, "You know what? I've seen I've seen you're struggling in this area, and I just wanted to share with you. Here's some things that have helped me." Here's here's some progress I've been making, and here's how I've been able to do that. That that when we include ourselves in it, then it is humble. It's a way of gently and humbly helping the person back onto the right path. So so we need people in our lives. We need friendships that can help us uh, do better, but we need people who can do it in a gentle way. So I would I would give you that advice. Um, certainly within the church, but in your friendships, you'll have to decide whether you can do that humbly or not. Finally. Um, uh, Paul says in Colossians, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I do both of these so poorly, right? Is that I expect everybody else to see it from my perspective, to to have my background, to to have my outlook on life. So I, I don't I don't make allowance for other people. Um, I certainly don't make allowance for their faults, um, and I have so much trouble forgiving people who offend me. But that is that is the the. The goal that I am aiming for as a Christian. This is, this is the, the curriculum that we are enrolled in. Martin Luther called the Christian life a school of holiness because it is difficult to do these things. It is difficult even to be the guy with the truck when your friend says, hey, I'm moving again. But this is what we're called to be. We're called to spiritual friendships. And when we, when we take the, the, the effort, when we engage in the effort to have spiritual friendships, we will be happier and healthier. So, what do we do? What do we do with those? The application is to build those friendships. If you don't have those four friends who can carry you to Jesus, then try to try to find those four friends. A, a great a great way of doing this is small groups. Um, I I struggle in, in this church because we are such a small church. We know each other pretty well. And it's very difficult to to uh, build a small group program in a church like this. Um, there are some informal small groups. Some of the different uh, people in the church uh, function as small groups, and I would encourage you to continue doing so. But I really like small groups, and the reason is because it was a small group in Indianapolis that led me to Jesus, and so I'm I'm a fan. Um, I'm I'm a member today of two different ministerial associations where I can actually have a small group uh, uh, relationship with other. Uh, peers, so I, I encourage you to find a small group. Um, and if you if you can't figure out a way to be part of a small group, then last week we talked about serving in the church, and I hope you've all been you know thinking, ooh, where can I serve? And tonight you're going to come to the the meeting and you're going to see who gets elected and you're going to go straight to them and say, how can I help? Um, so so I'm you know pastor's dream, but but that's my hope is that you will serve in the church and when you do you know, typically we serve with somebody else. So I encourage you, serve serve alongside somebody and then say, hey, let's go get coffee. Let's go do some life together. Because when we have these relationships, when there's people who will help us, when there's people we like and there's people we trust enough to let them help us, we will be happier, we'll be healthier, we'll be the kind of people that Jesus calls us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for, um, for making us, uh, creatures that, that, uh, need community. Lord, we, we struggle sometimes. We, we don't know how to do it well. We don't know, uh, the things that make for good community. So Lord, uh, bring people into our lives and give us the courage to, to reach out to them and say, hey, I would like to be in a relationship with you, a spiritual relationship, a friendship. And, um, Lord, it even sounds weird to say it that way, but Lord, give us the courage to, pursue this goal, that we can have those kinds of relationships. Through Christ we pray. Amen.